Two weeks ago, I was writing and preparing my yearly report for our annual parish meeting, going back through my memories of that wild and crazy roller coaster ride that was 2021. And I found myself spending a good deal of time remembering many of the people that we lost over the last year. As much as we were in constant struggle with the pandemic and the variants of the COVID pestilence, we were at the closest to normal in that one thing that the church must always do regardless of whatever else might be happening outside those doors in the world. We were mourning those who had died and we were taking the hard responsibility of burying our dead. Of course, as we all know, last year was certainly another hard year for the entire world in the face of death and dying due to the pandemic, among other things. And here at All Saints, we too found ourselves involved in more than our fair share of tough funerals. One of the many good people we lost last year, who I find myself missing almost every single day, was Mrs. Bette Boardman. For those of you who may not remember her or who never got the opportunity to meet her, Bette Boardman at the time of her death in May of last year was one of our oldest, longest serving members of this church. Bette literally volunteered in the church office answering phones, struggling to connect other parts of the phones with those of us in the office and signing checks all the way up to the final year of her life. And as much as her aging body was catching up with her physically, she had the great blessing of never once losing the ability mentally to recall the deep history of her life and of the history here at this church, especially when that story involved her and her beloved husband of 50 years, Bob Boardman, who preceded bed in death not long after I arrived as your priest in charge back in 2014. As many of you who knew Bet probably heard her say at least once, Bet and Bob's history in this church goes all the way back to their marriage in 1955 in the original All Saints Church, which at that time was located on the north end of Hendricks Avenue, very close to where I-95, where the I-95 overpass is today. Bet and Bob were there 60 years ago for the first worship on what was then the newly purchased All Saints property here at 4171 Hendricks Avenue. And Bet's husband, Bob, as many of you know, would serve on the vestry committee that helped to plan and design this very church building that we're worshiping in today. Every Sunday, there's an image of this church that is printed on the front of your worship bulletin, and that image was drawn by Bob Boardman. Bet and Bob Boardman made it through every rector this parish has seen since this building was consecrated 50 years ago, and that, I'm sure as many of you remember, was a challenge. And it came down to me to be their final rector here at their home church. I was given the solemn honor of officiating both of their funerals and committing them to their place in the All Saints Columbarium. And like so many other saints of this church we have lost over the past years, that columbarium is now where Bet and Bob's ashes will rest side by side until Christ comes again and their bodies are raised. 
As I was thinking about that leading up to last Sunday and the days that followed, I couldn't help but remember our many afternoons we spent together over the last few years of her life at her home down on Pons de Leon Avenue. No matter what we'd talk about before I would give her Holy Communion, it would always finish with Bet looking at me and telling me just how much she was longing to see her sweet Bob once again after she died. As much as she feared death, just like all of us certainly do, Bet always seemed to manage to never once stop looking forward to the promise she had in her Christian faith that after she crossed over from life into death, she would see Bob and her sisters and all of her loved ones once again. She held on to the promise that Bob indeed was already there waiting for her and that on that day she would be able to touch his face again and wrap her arms around him in a long overdue embrace. And each and every time we'd finish that conversation, as if just to make sure she wasn't overthinking anything theologically, she'd look at me and she'd say, Father Donovan, I will see Bob again, won't I? And each and every time, I'd look Bet right in the eyes and without missing a beat, I would say, yes, Bet, you will absolutely see him again. Now, in a day and age when talking about death and dying is something our culture tries to avoid at all costs, I'm sure even some of the most devout Christians might question my guarantee of such a strong proclamation that our loved ones do indeed await us on the other side of death. Some might even find it troublesome that I'd even tell someone that there is something beyond our dying right now in our very modern age. Even if they're willing to consider it themselves, they might wonder what right I have to speak about it with such assurances. Well, let me just tell you, I have to believe that if anyone in the church feels this way or has serious concerns about addressing death, then they might just need to go back and reread their Bibles again. Because, brothers and sisters, there is really no question that above everything else we tend to think about when we think about our Christian faith, if we read the Bible or even just scan through it, there's no way you can miss that Scripture is revealing to us that life beyond death and the hope it promises to those who believe is the absolute center core and foundation of our faith. Our faith was never built upon living a good, kind, moral life. It isn't about somehow saving this world from poverty, violence, injustice, and imprisonment. It isn't about saying the right prayers or worshiping with the right liturgy. All of those things certainly come out of the faith that we profess and follow as disciples of Jesus Christ, as light shining brightly in a darkened world. But above all of those other things, the main goal of our Christian faith, I'm here to tell you, always remains what it has been since the first Easter morning when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb and defeated death. It is to be able ourselves to one day stand in the very face of death when it comes and not be afraid any longer. To be prepared for death, knowing that death itself will die and life will continue spiritually beyond death 
until we are raised again to live fully in God's kingdom. All the work we put into building up our spiritual lives from baptism through confirmation, holy communion and the sacraments of the church, all the prayers and worship and right action for the good of others and for the good of ourselves. It is all to prepare us inwardly and spiritually for the moment which our sister Bet Boardman faced on the 10th day of May last year and which so many of those we loved faced before her and after her and that which every single one of us one day will have to face ourselves. In the 15th chapter of St. Paul's incredible first letter to the church in Corinth, which we've been reading together over the last three Sundays, St. Paul is laying all of this out for us to take to heart as the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. St. Paul kicked it off back on February the 6th by restating the simple fact that all our faith is founded upon good news, writing to the church in Corinth. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And last Sunday, St. Paul continued emphasizing the absolute essentialness of Christ being physically raised from the dead for all of us who believe, writing these words, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, We are of all people most to be pitied. Why does Paul feel so strongly about this? Why does he insist that this simple fact of bodily resurrection of Jesus is so important? Why is it that the real over the metaphor, the actual over the inspirational was what was essential? Well, brothers and sisters, because if Christ died and was not raised, then we ourselves have no hope in the face of death. If Christ did not do what all those names Paul provided us with as actual witnesses, including himself, professed in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 11, then death has not been defeated and Christ was not ever who he said he was. Christ's defeat of death, first and foremost, is what our faith is built upon in order for us to receive the same hope and the same promise of eternal life and an equality of resurrection. St. Paul concludes for us this morning the two deeper parts of who we are. That which is physical, <clears throat> that must face death, and that which our faith provides for us for the journey beyond, which is the spiritual. Paul describes it as perishable versus the imperishable. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 49 this morning, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown a physical body, and it is raised a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of a man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of salvation. That is to say that if we accomplish everything we ever dreamed of on this earth, if we could work out all the struggles and the hunger and the poverty and restore the whole planet to equality and justice and love, we'd still have that great struggle of the physical versus the spiritual in that moment of death that had to be fought and had to be won. Our faith, as much as it wants to restore this world, first needs to restore our spirits. This work is maybe even more important than anything else because this work will have the rightful impact on everything else we do because it alone is that which can eliminate and incapacitate the greatest of the fears we have, which is the fear of death and dying. Paul writes in verses 52 through 55, for this perishable body must put on imperishability. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. O death, you have been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That is where we will be one day if we can find a way to become like those saints who we've seen come before us. Those who even as death approached through their strong faith knew that death would not win in the end, that their loved ones in the imperishable bodies of the spirit were already waiting to welcome them on the other side, that they would see them and talk with them and abide with them through Jesus as they together awaited the resurrection that would restore their spiritual bodies to completeness again. That, I believe, is where Bette Boardman was before she died. And that's where we can be also if we just work hard to build up our spirits and shape our spiritual bodies into that which discipleship in Jesus is here from the beginning to the end to provide for us. This is the Easter message of our faith. And to it, we have the right to hope and to say together, thanks be to God. Amen.